0: This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com.
1: Hardcore is a new series from Heritage Radio Network. Over six episodes were taking a close look at the rebirth of American cider.
2: Really, it wasn't until about 10 years ago that cider started to be revitalized in the United States.
1: From the science of fermentation.
0: So yeast, it's a fungus, it's a unicellular fungus.
2: To the magic of terroir. What really excites us is thinking about communicating that very sort of spiritual aspect of knowing a piece of land. We're setting aside our cider donuts to gain a deeper understanding of this singular beverage. I love a cider donut. You don't have to have a cider donut with your cider, and I will die on that point. Subscribe to
1: Hardcore wherever you listen to podcasts.
3: Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Today is November 14th. We're doing a special live Cider Week NYC event uh, just around the corner at Essex Market. There's the LES Cider Fest, and, and uh, a couple of our guests were setting up. So let's go around the room. Each, each guest is going to introduce themselves and in the cider that, cider that they're part of.
0: Hi, Jimmy. This is uh, Dan Wilson from Slyborough Cider House and Hicks Orchard up in Granville, New York.
3: And Dan, you're, you're one of the great pioneers, and we're so happy to have you here today because we're going to talk about the arc of this whole industry for the last 10 years.
0: Thanks.
1: I'm Catherine Gaylord. I'm currently apprenticing at Eve Cidery up in Van in the Finger Lakes.
3: It's great. And one reason we're here is we're celebrating the Simon Award. Um, we started three years ago. Farnham Hill, Steve Wood got the first year. Last year's second award went to Autumn Stoschick mm-hmm. at... Uh, Eve Cidery, and we'll talk more about it. And then today, our third-year winner. <laughs>
2: Hi, Jimmy. I'm Eleanor Leger from Eden Specialty Ciders in Northern Vermont.
3: You know, it's so great to have you. Um, we've put a lot of thought into the Scion Award because, you know, going back eight, nine, ten years, there was so much conversation of how, how do we differentiate these, these orchard-based or, or, you know, fine cider makers mm-hmm. who are, you know, doing what you guys do. From the the average mainstream ciders, and I know you guys have been a big part of that conversation. We're going to talk about that today. So let's go back ten years ago when you first got started, Eleanor. Congratulations on being the third annual New York City Scion Award winner. Thank you so much. <laughs> so what what got you started? We've, we've interviewed you a lot, but let's let's get a little backstory on on, on you and Dan. So yeah.
2: we came to cider a little bit differently than most people, in that we started primarily making ice cider because we're way far in the north, about five miles from the Canadian border. I like to joke, I, I, it's not a joke. I can actually see Canada from my cidery. <laughs> um, and uh, we had eight inches of snow on Monday night. So um, you know, cold weather was uh, a natural asset. And uh, also, Vermont just has lots of, lots of interesting apples. And um, so we just started making ice cider in our basement. And, and now here I am, <laughs> 12 years later.
3: <laughs> but you've, al- you've always worked with like local orchards. Tell us a little Absolutely. about the role of, yeah. you know, orchards and and apples
2: to your product yeah yeah so it's critical the um uh i'll try and say this as succinctly as possible our our mission is to support people who grow interesting apples we grow uh, apples ourselves we have a thousand trees 55 different varieties um but really what we're trying to do with our ciders is express this amazing fruit and and help people who are working really hard to grow incredible apples keep going because there's not a lot, there's not a big market opportunity for them. And if some of these varieties die out, they'll never be on the face of the planet again. So that's really what motivates us.
3: We have a lot to talk about today, and we're recording at Top Ops Beer Shop on Orchard Street uh, on the Lower East Side. These guys just loaded in. They'll be over at the LES Cider Fest in about two hours. So Dan, uh, same thing with you. You started out as a grower. Tell us about your arc, you know, how you first got involved in growing apples. The orchard you're a part of, and then when you started making cider.
0: Um, yeah, Hicks Orchard is the uh, it's the oldest pick-your-own orchard in New York State. So we've had customers coming to our farm since 1905, and we kind of built on that reputation over years. Um, 1905. 1905. But but so uh, all of our focus has really been on uh, on the uh, creating an, an experience, having people connect to the farm that they're they're coming to visit. And building that, that kind of tradition. Uh, cider seemed like a natural outgrowth of what we were doing and we started experimenting with cider around in the early 2000s to, um, uh, to see what the apples that we were growing, uh, how they uh, developed into ciders and uh, kind of begin our own learning curve on that. Uh, and, and we're really excited about the creative opportunities to not only um, make great cider, but also how we present it and how we can uh, um, uh, start to kind of find our way in the marketplace. And we're still trying to learn those lessons, too.
3: That's great. And Catherine, you're kind of just entering the industry. Uh, but You're training with the best, Autumn and Ezra at Eve's. <laughs> what do you look for when drinking cider? And wh- what are you seeing in the industry, especially coming from working with cider?
1: Oh gosh, I still feel like much too much of a neophyte to answer this question, but um, something that I look for in cider certainly is balance, and um, I think that I get a lot of really good examples of that at Eve Cidery, Um, and so I'm learning more about, you know, what a balanced cider means. Um, I've definitely developed a taste for highly tannic cider as well, Um, and... From being in the Finger Lakes, I actually didn't know that there was like such a healthy, growing cider industry in that area. Um, it is, a, you know, a well-established wine region, but I think it's also becoming a well-established cider region, and it's just really exciting to see um, how many people are doing it and how many people are, like, kind of starting small cideries as well. Um, and people are getting really excited about apples and therefore, you know, agriculture and terroir. And to me, that's exciting and heartening.
3: That's great. Well, welcome to the show. <laughs> um, so, Eleanor, you know, so back to the arc of, of your mm-hmm. business. So from ice cider to, you know, the early days, tell us when and why you decided to start making Champagne Method, like mm-hmm. more sparkling mm-hmm. ciders, the rose cider, mm-hmm. and kind of continuing yeah. on.
2: So, um when we started making ice cider, cider was really not a thing. Um, I had recently discovered the fabulous Farnham Hill ciders, and you know would sort of search high and low to find a bottle that I could enjoy and take home and enjoy. but um you know, most of what cider was was um, wood check um, in the grocery store and we were Almost very much <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's a great Vermont company. I mean, they're a really nice company, and they employ people in Vermont, and we love them. And they can our cans, so we're very very fond of them. But um, you know, for for us and as a small scale agricultural based business, um, uh, Ice Cider was an opportunity to make something with a high price point um, and a fairly hefty gross margin, even um, which meant at a small volume you could you know have a little bit more resources and. Um So our, we were really in the dessert wine business for the first four years, and then cider started becoming more popular and you had Boston beer getting in, and people started talking about cider and we realized we'd formed these relationships with amazing growers for amazing fruit and not only did that make fruit make good ice cider, but we could also expand that and start making interesting dry ciders and um I have to say this is, uh, so So this one here that we, this was the first foray that we did into cider. This is our um, Brut Nature Sparkling Dry. Um, it is a champagne method, and it's in a 375-ml bottle. Um, and we hand-disgourged the yeast out of every one of these, which is kind of crazy. Um, and um, we, we did that because we, our, our customers were high-end restaurants that could afford to have fancy dessert wines on their menu. And we went to them and talked to them and said, if we were to introduce cider, what would you want it to be? And they were pretty vocal about the format that would work for them, which would be more of a single serve size, and and that they wanted something drier than what was available on the market. Um, This is totally dry. um, And it's champagne method, because you can make a champagne method cider at home without having all kinds of fancy equipment. You just need the bottles. Um, and so for people who are listening, who like to do stuff at home, I mean, this is actually, this was basically what we did in our basement.
3: <laughs> I mean, it, it was revolutionary back then because even like seven, eight years ago, guys like Steve Wood at Farm Hill, he was like adamant that he would only have like still ciders. And suddenly when, when you started serving this like champagne method, suddenly a next year or two later, everyone from Eve's, suddenly I had a whole cider week event with every New York and Northeast cider maker had a really good sparkling cider. Um...
2: I, 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 um, Autumn, was, Autumn, Autumn speech, was making but. champagne method ciders before we made them. So let's just be clear, so she, <laughs> the proper place in history. <laughs> um, but, um, but it was, it was, it was the way we could get started. Yeah. That's
3: great. What about for you, Dan? So, you know, you, you, the family orchard, 1905, I had no idea that Hicks Orchard w- went back right. that far. Uh, Gieden Call said that that was the, the era of, the, the great era of, of cider apples back then
0: uh it, it- it possibly was I, I in the original orchards on the farm i um i remember uh discovering uh after years of uh working with these trees discovering uh, uh, branches that have been grafted onto trees that i i, I didn 't quite know the identities of earlier and so it was a long time to kind of figure those things out um in my in the basement of my house it's the uh they used to stencil the uh the the barrels that the apples came to New York City and when, they, when they would wholesale apples. And there, there are examples of the stencils in my basement of all the varieties that uh, they had available then. And there are none of them in my orchard now. So wow. there, there is this kind of change and in, in revolution in, in apples. And, uh, but the other truth is that every farm in our area, in your area too, in your area, had an orchard. Mm-hmm. And, and and so cider was a staple uh, at a certain period of time, and I'm sure that there's some really good ciders that were made too. So part of this is kind of a rediscovery, and uh, and uh, it, but but also it's, um, it's it's trying to figure out how to um, uh, not only uh, build the market for cider but grow the uh, the right apples to support that market, and that's that's kind of a, a longer, slower process than the than, than the. Uh, than, than markets have patience for in some ways. Mm-hmm. So, so
3: 1905, <laughs> the nineteen oh five stencils we found in the basement. How many different?
0: I was like eight, eight varieties of apples, of apples and uh, I, I some of them like Sil- Silver King. Is that some ring a bell? No. Um, a Rambo. Some Rambo, yeah, Rambo, which Rambo, is a, Rambo. um but some some other really kind of cool varieties. Mm-hmm. And,
3: they named a movie after it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was a
0: really tough apple that you know <laughs> had, had, had a Philadelphia accent. Had a chip on his shoulder, you know. <laughs> right, <A chip>. yeah, <laughs> right, right. Yeah.
3: I mean, we did. We reference autumn and ma- making great ciders at Eve's Cidery. Um, what's rubbing off on you? Are you, are you are there? Any things you can talk about? Yeah,
1: I'm. I think the thing that I am observing at Eve's that seems to be kind of what what makes them special and what sets them apart is um, they really believe in the fact that cider is all about good fruit and so where you take the most care is in the orchard growing the apples and then the next place where you take the most care is in the cidery just doing your best to get out of the way of the fruit and letting it, letting it do its thing um, and in that way you're kind of really, really um, doing your best to express like a place and a time in that place. And I know it sounds really sappy, but I'm kind of into that and that's you know what I hope to do with my eventual orchard based cidery.
3: And then you you brought a very special Eve so to mm-hmm. taste and what is it?
1: Um, so this is our twenty eighteen Alby Hill. It's um, a still dry blend that we make every year. And it is pretty exemplary of our 2018 harvest. Um, we had a lot of higher acid apples in that harvest and didn't have a lot of bittersweet fruit, so many of our ciders are on the juicier side and also like a little bit more al- lower alcohol, a little bit kind of gentler than 2017. Um, this cider we just released and um, it's still kind of taking its time to come into its own but it has a kind of a lovely like sweet savory nose with some cantaloupe on it um a like soft mid palate and then you know a little bit of like
3: with, with the name be, is it from a specific portion oh of the
1: orchard? yeah um so this is from a combination of apples from two orchards that we have up on a hill um and the closest road, even though they're not accessible from the, that road, is Alby Hill Road. Um, even though the way that we get to those orchards, we climb up through the woods. <laughs>
3: <laughs> the climb wood orchard. Yeah. <laughs> and there, already on, on the show, we actually tasted from England a Perry that was made from a single tree in Herefordshire. Mm. So I, I'm really into the specific locale, you know, terroir. Mm-hmm. Let's jump over. So so uh, back to the arc. So. Eden, years ago, we, I was always urging you and some like Diane Flint, Steve Wood, <laughs> and Dan Wilson, and, and Eves to say, why don't you guys define what you're doing because it's a little different than, than most. And for a while you had a term, American fine cider. I know you had a couple tastings and even some branding. Let, let's, let's take us back to that. So that was about five, five, six years ago. How did that go and where did that end up? Yeah, I... I still think of you guys as American fine, fine cider. cider.
2: Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you know, I think I think in terms of the arc of the story, um, the type of cider that we make is still a teeny-weeny portion of the market, but I've, every year I feel there's more and more interest, and I feel that building... Partic- I'm, like, super excited about our kind of cider. Um, you know, the, the United States Association of Cider Makers also... Came out with a lexicon at one point, defining terms, and some of us switched over to that. Some of us switched back. That that's changing. I think there's still a lot of debate about how to how to characterize the cider. That it, you know, it it can be partly about the apples that are being used. It can be partly about the process. Um, as I've been mulling it over all these years, I feel like the the two really distinguishing factors between what we do and what you'll find in a typical grocery store canned cider is we make cider once a year, right? We press the apples close to harvest when they have all their flavor, and then there's slow cold fermentation. And it may be eight months a year in the case of our little sparkling one, a year and a half before it, you know, goes to market. That's a huge economic difference versus people who are turning over their tanks every three to four weeks, um, and you know, fermenting apples that are pressed out of cold storage. One of my favorite terms is fresh pressed. It's like you're pressing it in July. it's not fresh. <laughs> it was harvested this previous September. <laughs> so, um, so that's one, and then the second is that we're working with fruit that is grown for cider. It could be a Macintosh, but the difference is that we're um, looking for flavor and not for texture, right? When you're eating an apple, you care a lot about what it tastes, what the texture is, how crunchy it is. You don't want a mealy apple. Those of us who make cider, we don't care about the texture at all. what we care about is the flavor, so we want that fruit to hang on the tree and most growers, if they're growing grocery store fruit are almost incapable of letting it hang on the tree. They want to get it off in cold storage. so um, there's a whole um, pers- you know, perspective on how the fruit is grown, what varieties and how they're grown in addition to the vast difference in how we actually produce it.
3: Do you, uh- you want to talk more as a grower, or do
0: you want to talk more as a uh, I can wear both those hats. Yes. <laughs> grower first. Well, I think you know the the thing that we've talked about before too is that uh, cider, you know, in in uh, in the marketplace is a relatively new product, and it uh, has yet to kind of uh, settle on where it stands in the spectrum between uh, or or somewhere around. Uh, wine and beer, and the ciders we're talking about right now are definitely uh, much more at home in the wine world. But that's uh, the vast majority of ciders that are made. You know, live more comfortably in the beer world, and they're made in different ways. They're made with different apples, and because the the market is undefined, um, there's some tension about how, um, uh, uh, w- uh, you know, the direction that will head, um, whether the the whole industry will, you know, adequately support. The, you know the, this healthy growth of, of all ciders. My feeling has always been that that uh, the, the, the uh, what, you know what some call the heritage section or the orchard based portion of the market is is perhaps the most important part of the market because without it uh, uh, the, uh, the the building of quality the uh, the building of cider that that's. Um, uh, where the Apple varieties that go into it is, is the inherent value of the of the product uh, without those things, then cider kind of collapses around the you know who can make the most product in the least expensive way and, 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 and then and there's nothing that, that that's a model that will, Kind of be a trend rather than than a growing industry.
2: I think the the and you're talking about the arc. The follow on to that is what we saw this past summer with the move to hard seltzers in the market. I mean, if if your only objective is to have a beverage that is, you know, alcohol and fruit flavors and some bubbles and some sweetness, you know, a malt based beverage is always going to win out over an apple based beverage because somebody has to grow the apples. And that's an expensive proposition. And so, you know, just agreeing totally with what you just said, Dan, it's very, I think it's going to be a real test for the, you know, the, the section of the market that's been creating, you know, guava and cucumber and salt goza style, whatever. To survive in a world where things based on a malt beverage are coming at them hard and fast,
0: we saw a lot of growth, in, uh, you know, it, it around 2012 to 14, and you know, the, the big industry analysts were all excited about cider because, uh, you know, the really big companies were ex- seeing you know 15 percent, 50 percent a year growth, uh, but that kind of leveled off, and mm-hmm. some of those companies saw that that w- that meant that, uh, you know, the uh, the era of cider was kind of diminishing and some of those sales kind of went away. To be replaced by, at least on, uh, at least what we saw was more, smaller producers and more of the kind of the regional cider makers that really were still were making uh, cider from fresh local apples uh, uh, grow. Um, and there were a lot of those players too. So I, I think, there was a lot of froth, so to speak, in, in the industry for a little while. And, uh, you know, for the big players and, and the big companies, it was, you know, the first thing that replaced it was uh, was hard sodas.
3: We'll talk more about that. Let's go the arc of Eden. So, so from uh, Champagne Method sparkling, then the dry rosé. I remember that, that came out. You had it in kegs. That was a huge thing, and rosés has been a huge category. But talk about your dry rosé, because... That was, a, that was a special uh, cider that I know even a lot of restaurants put on tap. Yeah. yeah. Which was a huge, um, to me that was a next step. And fine cider, American fine
2: and cider. Interesting, yeah. So th- the story of that, that's a fairly quirky cider. It's, it was 2014, and it was mud season in Vermont, which is April when the snow has melted and there's nothing green, and it's really its really depressing. Month, and, right? and actually, trucks are not even allowed up our road for six weeks. <laughs> so there's not much to do. And I was dreaming of a trip back in my youth when I was in southern France and thinking, oh, I just want like a... Tuna Nussoise salad and a glass of dry rosé and to be looking at the ocean, and I thought, I've got some red currant concentrate downstairs. Well, you know, what happens if you put that in cider? Um, and we ended up testing, you know, beets and cranberries and all that kind of stuff, but there's something about red currants that has a lovely bright red berry flavor to it and really nice earthy tannin. So it makes something that's got structure and is refreshing, um, even with a little bit of RS in the, in the cider. Um, it's, it's really made like a wine. It's 11% alcohol f- because it goes through the cold concentration of our ice cider process. Um, and so we, we've we always sold it as an alternative to a sparkling rosé wine and do it in a keg, and it's going to be way less expensive
3: than really yeah. fancy rosé wine. Talk about your brand <laughs> as opposed to a hard seltzer. Mm-hmm. I mean, you started with the, the dessert wine, the, the ice cider. Yeah. You've gone into a champagne method sparkling, mm-hmm. a, a sparkling dry rosé. Mm-hmm. I feel like you've positioned yourself for the restaurant market and kind of fine yeah. wine shop market. Yes. Um, I know that was your intention, but tell us about how you interact with that market because it seems to be where, where you focus, isn't it? Yeah,
2: Yes. Um, and, and, you know, initially that was a function of, of selling ice cider. Uh, w- our challenge has always been that we're in a very remote region of Vermont, which doesn't have a lot of population to begin with, and we're in the least populated region. And there's nobody, I mean, there's not nobody, but there are very few people to sell our cider too so we have been working with distributors from a very early point in time since 2008 um, and um, that means that we've been able to go and reach restaurants who can appreciate the kind of cider that we make so um, you know we're in, distributed in about 20 states now
3: No, you're, you're always like the top shelf uh, you know really good cider in a lot of the restaurants uh, I like so congratulations you. Dan you so like long time you know Uh, Family, Orchard, what were some of the first ciders that you were making, even like ten years ago, uh, I remember buying some of yours uh, wholesale, Mm. take us back ten years ago, the ciders you were making, um, how that side of the business has gone for you. Uh,
0: So we opened the doors in our tasting room in 2007, so we had things in bottles a year earlier than that, but because it takes a while to get everything in place. Um, uh, We didn't release everything until 2007, but our goal uh, was to uh, to open a tasting room that could demonstrate the range of what apples could produce in cider. So we started out with a still dry cider uh, made from um, you know traditional varieties and what was some the name of that? Um, night pasture, yep. um, and uh, we made a couple of sparkling ciders. Hidden Star was kind of our flagship uh, brand. <laughs> Um, and we made ice cider too. There was um, uh, it was earlier in the day when uh, we had trouble getting the label called ice cider, so we called it ice harvest, which is the name we've, we've uh, ha- held on to. Um, but so it was arranged from dry and still all the way to a, uh, an ice cider dessert style of um, uh, just to kind of show the creative potential for apples. Uh, we're in an area that uh, is not in one of the wine, big wine producing areas, so we knew that. Uh, we're on the Vermont border, and we knew that a lot of our customers would uh, this would be like the first experience of doing a tasting in a tasting room, like uh, to having a um, you know a proper introduction to to the product. Um, but we wanted to kind of spark people's imaginations too about w- what they could do with, with fruit, and it was um, just a, a great creative challenge and uh, an opportunity to to put those together. Now
3: just to jumping more towards like the politics again. So I know like there's U.S. Cider Association has had style guidelines and terms like heritage, rich, and modern, which to me, it all just sounds too (laughs) obtuse. But in New York State, New York State Cider Association has had its own kind of style guides. So how do you guys feel about the differences? It seems that the New York State guidelines are geared more towards orchard-based ciders and traditional methods. Dan, you want, you want to talk more about that? Because I know you were involved in the New York State Insider Association
0: for a while. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, probably not the uh, uh, um, up on the, the current state of that conversation. Um, yeah, but it's, like There have years been years
2: some ago. recent changes. We're not, we're okay. Yeah, some we're recent like changes. Years, so you,
0: uh, Eleanor, probably probably be able to speak to that a little bit more, uh, more, more currently. But uh, it, it's, you know, again, the, the way that we've struggled with this is really to get to that core issue of... Uh, what is cider, and and what should people understand about the cider that they're that they're drinking, and how it fits in the spectrum of what they can have to drink? Um, so uh, heritage proved to be a, a, a problematic word, and we had a lot of debate about uh, that particular word, um, and uh, but but also just even the sense of. Um, uh, of, of developing scales of dryness, mm-hmm. uh, there, there's a lot of work on uh, how, how uh, uh, you know, again, how to uh, to to borrow an understanding of, of how wine is made, so people can understand and talk, you know, uh, intelligently about the uh, the, so it's, the it's thing that they, that's in the glass sugar. in front of them, it's not, the not oil just oil 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 residual oil. sugar, because you know there's there's a, there's a pretty complex interaction of. Of uh, the the sugar, the acidity, the the tannic quality, mm-hmm. just the nature of the fruit that will, I think you know what what seems to be important, and and a lot of the New York State work has been built around the Riesling scale, uh, which kind of uh, factors in a number of different uh, parameters to to develop a sense of. Of uh, not just you know uh, technical how much sugar is in the, in uh, uh, residual sugars in, in a product, but the perception. You know, you know, when you drink this, what what will you what experience will you have? And that's an interaction of all those factors, uh, and uh, and that's important because you know uh, people want to have confidence in what they're the bottle they're picking up and how it's going to fit into the meal that they're preparing. The
2: experience I had in that development that really opened my eyes was we had. Um Ian Merwin and the, um, Black, Diamond. Black Diamond, the group that's working at Cornell on the dryness scale, come to Vermont and um, do a test of the scale. As they were in development with a number of, you know, people in the cider industry, and the, f- you know, so they're pouring ciders and people have the score sheet and they, you know, we mark down wh- whether we think it's where it is on the scale between dry and sweet, and then they reveal where this actually is if you would followed their formula, and. The fascinating thing to me was a couple of people who were making more, um, you know, canned ciders from grocery store apple varieties, tasted the first cider and thought that it was semi-sweet when it was bone dry, because it was one of Ian's, you know, beautiful tannic fruit, fruit-forward ciders that's bone dry that you can do with the right kinds of apples, and they had just never had the experience of tasting that and understanding it, and so you know, the perception of fruit when something was bone dry for somebody who's used to like a bone dry Macintosh and empire and gala and red delicious cider, which has no flavor whatsoever. They, it's like, it didn't compute.
3: I would say it, it's the same in wine. I think, I think it's different by regions and whether you're in a certain city for wine as well. Like when someone asks for a dry wine, you honestly have to taste them. You, you really don't know what yeah. they're expecting. And that's probably the, the biggest challenge. Um, mm-hmm. This dryness scale is very interesting to me. Um, I, 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 what I wanted to say is I think that New York is further ahead than the United States cider association because there seem to be so many. So what are the, what are the, the different elements that go into the dryness scale again? So it's not just residual sugar.
2: T- tannin and acidity. All right, How do you measure that? So um, acidity is grams per liter of titratable acid, um, total, acid total acidity residual sugar in grams per liter, and then some adjustment for tannin level, um, you know, whether it's light, medium, heavy. And I, I think there's, there's still some issues and kinks to be worked out, I think, because tannin can actually, sometimes it can, imp, you know, increase the perception of sweetness, but other times it can take it away.
3: Catherine has a, I don't want to call you a new person in cider, but yeah. you told me that you're an apprentice. <laughs> how does the dryness scale, or the word dry in cider, how do you see it? Um, To me, Eves makes dry ciders.
1: Yeah, I think that's, it's something, it's a really interesting phenomenon to me. I sort of, I wasn't used to um, people, like, evaluating cider, especially before they tasted it, based on dry and sweet, Um, because, you know, that was before I moved out to a region where people generally thought of cider like they do wine, but after kind of, Talking about this a lot with my colleagues and um, people that I look up to, and just hearing you two talk about it, I sort of wonder if a quote-unquote dryness scale in general is the
2: right way to evaluate cider. Um, so I think the, the the dryness scale, the lexicon project, at the end of the day. Um, what we're looking for, at least at the USACM level, is words that will help customers choose a cider that they will actually like. So it's not a it's not a project to find... There's a different project, which is what words <laughs> do we use, like as makers, to convince people or tell them about what we're doing, but words to help customers pick a cider because, boy, if they pick one they don't like, they're never going to like cider again. So actually, the, the latest news at the USACM level is that the... Um, lexicon has taken a very different turn we're simplifying styles spending much less time talking about styles and much more t- time talking about how does it taste so um, you know words that can be used to describe how fruity it is how tart it is how tannic or mouth-drying so it of is terms
3: was like, I don't think sells cider what are some of the, the, the terms that, that will sell
2: cider? So it's just describing on the label what the what the cider tastes like. It's like, how can we get to a world where somebody can pick up a label and say, "Oh, I know I like, you know, bright fruity, off-dry, you know, semi-sweet, um, tart ciders," and have a cider that says that. Okay, I'm going i like this one taken home another person say I really like, you know, dry tannic ciders with um, you know low acidity and some. Or something like that. And just just words that will help them pick the so less about styles. More about just here's a lexicon you can use to help customer if we all start using it, help the customer understand what it tastes like.
3: And then sometimes you want to ask a good retailer, how do you, Yeah. Sometimes the, the really good waiter or bartender has their own vocabulary and yeah. they're the ones that are selling yeah. more cider than anyone. Right. Vocabulary.
1: Oh, I just—I had an analogous idea about this it's, um, because I'm also deeply passionate about coffee. Um, I wouldn't call myself a coffee snob, but I really, really uh, I like coffee. Like <laughs> <laughs> I guess so, yeah. Unfortunately, I don't want to be a snob, but You're I kind of am. <laughs> yes. Um, I don't uh, know really how that t- really <laughs> ties, all, so ties in. Like, uh, well-rounded and nerdy about things in general, I guess. Um, but anyway, yeah, with... Um, more like fine like craft coffee roasters now, like the conversation is no longer about light or dark roast. It's about origin, it's about process and it's about tasting notes. Which I think is basically the same thing that you were talking about, Eleanor, about where we are and should be going with the way we talk about cider. Yeah.
3: And then I'll add in sometimes it also then depends on where you buy it. Like a good wine shop or, or a good restaurant is going to present it in a certain way that you like it. Mm-hmm. And they've totally. also already pre-sorted a lot of things. So mm-hmm. that's a missing element that I think you guys all understand how important the retail is. Yeah. That's yeah. why we're here at Top Hop Beer Shop on North Street. Dan, um, I'm sure you have something to add to this. Let's...
0: Wait, what, what's the next thing? What are we talking <laughs> dryness. about? Here's dryness. Well, here's that. the thing about the dryness scale, too, and, and you, were, you were asking about how um, uh, you know, how this relates to kind of orchard-based ciders, and uh, and that again kind of illustrates one of the schisms that we see in the industry, and in that the dryness scale only uh, is it only functions um, in 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 describing the realm of ciders that are only apple, you know. Whereas uh, if you add uh, you know another adjunct or a fruit flavoring or. Or herbs, or something the like that. Apricot. Yeah, that, and not to say that uh, it, that it, it's just that that scale won't work with those. So there's um. let uh,
3: say I don't taste the apricot.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think that that's perhaps what kind of led to the, you know, the association to kind of throw their hands up and say, let's just talk about what it tastes like. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, the, you know, at the end of the day, it really is about uh, uh, building an industry, which is getting the right cider in, in people's hands. In other words, the cider that they will enjoy, so that they'll buy more of that cider, or they'll try the next cider. And uh, uh, it, as, as much as we can um, uh, surprise and delight people who have that experience, uh, that's how we kind of grow this thing.
3: Great. And Catherine, that was a great analogy, talking about how the coffee industry has mm-hmm. evolved and tasting. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a minute on Beer Sessions Radio.
0: My name is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's a
3: super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, it's Cider Week NYC. This is a very special recording at Top Pop Beer Shop on Orchard Street. We are honoring... Eleanor Legere of Eden Cider with the third <laughs> annual New York City Scion Award. Uh, it's for excellence in, in cider, respect for Orchard okay. de Glass and all kinds of things, but mostly for the cider pioneers that, that I've grown to love. First year was Steve Wood at Farnham Hill. Second year was, was uh, Autumn Storchick of Eve Cidery and Catherine from Eve's Cidery is here. And Dan Wilson of Hicks Orchard and slider. Uh, so talk about some of the industry things. We're trying to do this whole arc of the last 10 years. Um, so, Eleanor, so we talked about you going from ice cider to champagne method to, to rosé. And tell us about cans. <laughs> Eight, nine years ago, Steve Wood <laughs> only wanted to serve sort of still ciders and didn't even want to put them on tap. He put it on tap. He started doing sparkling ciders now you guys are on can. so what thought about the can revolution in cider and what that means for your business
2: well i'm from vermont which is where hetty topper single-handedly convinced everybody in the beer world that good beer could come in a can so um they started that i think in my opinion and uh um, i agree the, i'm also can, from vermont <laughs> cans have been growing in popularity ever since and so people now understand that the 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 vehicle of the can is independent of the quality of the liquid within it, um, and um, you know I started looking around. This is we're tas- now tasting Dan's wonderful rose and sky, rose and sky, and sky cider. Thank you,
0: rose mm. and sky our mm. new release, Slyboro. Yeah, Slyboro cider. <laughs> <laughs> Slyboro.
2: Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, and I remember being with a group of um, natural cider makers a few years ago and saying, like, if we really care about our environment, you know. Wine has the second worst carbon footprint of any consumer product because it's in these heavy glass bottles that get shipped all around the world. And cans are much lighter. They do get recycled. Um, And you should be thinking about it. Second worst carbon footprint. I think plastic water bottles might be the worst. Yeah. So, you know, shouldn't we be thinking about cans in this way? I still have reservations about cans and the linings of cans, and um, what happens to those the longer your product is in them, if you're not careful. Um, um, You know, what is BPA and what's the replacement for it? If it's just BFA, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, so. uh, But that being said, it's a it is much less expensive, also than bottles, and um, that just makes it more approachable. So. We were like, we got to take the plums. We got to try and see if we can get a, a real. all
3: your cider cans and do a wall display.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, we only do one a year, so it's going to take a long time to get the full wall.
3: <laughs> but still, as a as an industry, like I mean, here we are at Top Hops. This is the type of retailer that, that you put cans in in a shelf like our friends up up in Fishco, Boutique Wine and Spirits. Mm-hmm. They have a whole section of one way they move their ciders is putting it in the can display. And yeah. certain people that are only buying cans. I mean, to me, that's still a huge revolution. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know about your, Catherine, as a you know consumer, or do you do you gravitate towards can? If you saw a good brand like Eden in a can, would you buy that before a bottle? It depends on where it's being sold.
1: Um, personally, my my view on this has actually changed since I've started drinking quote unquote wine like ciders, hmm. um, because. It, I started out as a craft beer lover, and you know, started out drinking Heady Topper, blah, blah, blah. Um, but f- for me, I think that I've not had a cider from a can that tastes as good as I think I've had great tasting ciders from glass bottles. I don't know if it's because those great tasting ciders are just just not packaged in cans or what but the other thing for me is that um the trend in cans is 16 ounces in capacity and 16 ounces um for me now is two servings of cider it's kind of almost like a grotesque amount of cider to drink in a sitting and so
3: could be a date night
1: you a date can't. night, yeah. You, you'd want you'd want to split one maybe, or like nurse one throughout the course of the evening. So I just think that like a can is sort of because it's not re, like reclosable or sealable. It's sort of an odd um, predicament because of the serving size. Yeah.
3: Um,
0: so our we do a line of canned ciders too, and uh, the decision was a hard one to come to. Um, and we sell most of our cider through our tasting room so we have direct experience with our, our customers uh, and we've, one of the things, we were observing what was happening in the industry where, you know, the vast majority of cider again lives in the beer world so it's kegs and cans and uh, and that started to kind of crowd out some finer ciders or, or, or wine style ciders in the marketplace. Um, and But we couldn't figure out how we were going to exist in that market, too, although we felt compelled to do that. And one of the things that kind of uh, was a turning point for me was just getting the feedback from our customers that they love our cider, they come in, they buy a bottle, and they wait for the special occasion to open that bottle. And the thing that I think that cider is, is, uh, is absolutely um, uh, a companion to beer is that cider is an everyday drink. So, it, to, the decision to kind of present cider in a single serving format that's easily transportable that you can take in a lot of other places that you can't take glass, all those things started to make sense if we were to think of trying to do our, you know, something uh, like our wine style ciders in a can for everyday consumption. So, that, that was kind of a, a part of our, our model uh, to, to, to move in that direction. Um,
3: well, the industry has changed so much. I mean, for me, 2011 when cider week first started at, at my old pub jimmy's number 43 we'd order a lot of ciders fine ciders by the bottle and literally that would be our cider list it would last for the whole year unless we poured stuff by the glass if we served it by the glass it would move and after a few years of of, of cider weeks we were like you know what why don't we just embrace it and, and add one cider on draft year round And, and um, we saw that that was a big change about four or five years ago and, I, and i'm going to very mainstream pubs, and I will see, it may not be the cider that you want, yeah. but I'll see a cider on, on tap. So I feel like, to me, I see the industry moving and changing, and, it, and, it, and whether it's cans in a bottle shop, uh, you know, some some bottles in a wine store, more likely it's a, a line of draft, which could be two. Um, so the industry's changing a lot. Um... I
0: don't know if you want. well Keep there was yeah there was that. another important point for us in, in that uh, decision making process and that was having seen uh, you know this explosive growth of, of, of cider in uh, in cans in the marketplace which uh, in our thinking kind of created a foundation that people uh, were expecting to pay a price point of you know nine to twelve dollars for a four pack of cider whether they're 16 ounce or 12 or ounce And our cider is more expensive to make. We're a small producer. We grow the fruit. It's uh, inherently more risky. We're trying to really focus on certain varieties. So we thought that with that foundation of that price point, we could grow above that. We could try to be something uh, to create a little niche as you see in the beer industry, where there's you know the large you know macro brands and then craft brands and then those small producers, and kind of the the, uh, the tiering of prices that are uh, that are according to that. So it seemed like there was an opening for uh, you know a, a reasonably priced but a little bit more expensive cider that, that started to, to make an equation that would make sense of our fruit.
3: Let's talk. So, so you brought. What's fun is we're getting a preview of the Lower East Side <laughs> Cider Fest today. We've had Eve Alby Hill and uh, Eden's Classic Brut uh, Dry Champagne Method Cider. Now we have this library. What is it again, Dan?
0: Uh, this is called Rosen Sky. It's, um, uh, it, one of the components is a fully fermented ice cider. Uh, the other base apples are uh, Golden Russet and Yarlington uh, Mill and Chisel Jersey. And what, what's the alcohol, the ABV? It's
3: 10%. So, to me, talking about the dryness scale, this actually tastes dry.
0: It's interesting though because there is, as we were talking about before there's a lot of fruit in this. I think that you you can get tricked into thinking that there's there's some sweetness to that, but it, I love that. I love that that kind of intriguing point of it's a very full flavor. There's a, there's a lot of richness to it. The the acidity is, is really kind of uh, subdued because it's um, or is not a bright cider. It's a full kind of creamy kind of quality, and uh, it, and and these are all very drinkable ciders. But they they present you know they're they have definite personalities.
3: One other style of cider. I think there was a controversy uh, in some of the when the United States Association was naming it. The term sour. Like in, in beer, we've seen just in the last five years seems like every brewery makes a sour beer. There's people that gravitate towards sour. With some of the Spanish style, people say sour. Do you want to call cider sour, or do you want to call it bone dry? I th- you might have been in on some of these talks.
2: To me, the word sour these days, whether it's used for beer or cider or wine, is um, acidification, volatile acidity, and, and you know a, b- a bit of vinegar is what you end up with. And... I think it's important to identify those. Again, from a consumer's perspective, if it's something that they're looking for, they should be able to find it. And if they're not looking for it, they should be able to avoid it.
3: Yeah, and I would say, compared to beer, like, I know, like, Graf Cider in Hudson Valley makes a lot of beer like ciders, and many of them are sour. But for me, the classic sour beers, like Goza, aren't necessarily sour, they're, mm-hmm. they're dry. But for uh-huh. some reason, I think a, a lot of American craft beer makers, when they make a sour beer, they, yeah, there's a lot of acidity. Maybe there's like a citrus fruit in there, which, uh, Maybe that's the same thing happening with with some modern cider makers. I don't know. But what about you, Catherine? Like, you're kind of a fresh face on this. (laughs) You know, sour, do you you get it? I mean, are you drawn to the word sour, or do you walk into a bar and say, I want your sour selection?
1: Um, I think from my craft beer days, pre-cider, I was into sours a lot, um, especially when they were kind of a new thing. I was introduced to sour beer through um, the beer Duchesse de Bourgogne, if any of you are familiar mm-hmm. with that. That was my first, like, quote-unquote Good. sour beer.
3: Stronger sour and sweet.
1: Yeah. yeah um, but I'm... I sort of, and I'm, I'm very into words. I think that like you know whether or not we are aware of like how words are connected to other things, like the words that we choose to use matter. And to me, the word sour is a beer word. So, um, I don't know. However, we choose to um, articulate sourness or you know acetic acid in cider. Um, it might be worth it to explore whether or not sour is the right word for it.
3: And I'll jump to one more thing. So um, cider and food pairing, restaurant people mm. really like to talk about it. Last year we did a, a little article. Uh, Jordan Berry mentioned her favorite cider pairing ever was, what was it? Eve's Cleopatra uh, poured down a uh, bone marrow tube at Jeepney Restaurant in East Village. Oh, oh, it was... Like, that sounds great. A really dry cider <laughs> <in bone marrow>. <laughs> <laughs> i do this um, at home. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that was, the uh, bone marrow if, you, if you have not been to Jeepney to get the bone marrow, you've got to go. It was amazing. And I've, um, I think it was Cinderella Slipper. It was our dry, still That's natural. Nice dry, still yeah. mm-hmm. in the bottom, right? yeah. 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 Yep.
3: But you know the experience. So what, you you, you scoop out some of the marrow first, then you no, 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 no. It's just it's jam. the whole.
2: It's like the the bone is split in half. It's got the marrow. It's all cooked. It's amazing. And you just like put the cider on it. You slide the whole thing in.
1: Oh, that <laughs> sounds so badass. It, it takes
2: talent. So Alright, <laughs> not, not like, to be really so messy at
1: it, the end of it. A favorite cider and <laughs> Oh my gosh. Um...
3: Dream.
1: Well, it's, it's so weird. <laughs> we talk day. about cider and food at Eves all the time, but yeah. now I can't think of anything. What do, you, uh,
3: <laughs> what do you like to eat when you drink cider?
1: I like to eat, like, cheese and cured meat and, yeah, kind of the classic stuff.
3: Sounds pretty good, but I like it. And then our <laughs> friend uh, Evan Hanksher at an uh, egg restaurant here also, he suggested eating, like, a very, like, simple winter cauliflower soup with a dry cider. Uh, one thing I like about talking to chefs about cider and food pairings and I think that's where yeah. your guys' strength is is that they get it they want the wine-like dry ciders and, yeah. and to them they right away get it yeah. I think of uh,
2: dry yeah. ciders with fruit character yes. dry ciders without fruit character are not worth spending time on in terms of pairing with food but you've got fruit character yeah, and they're really interesting
3: you know your, your Hicks Orchard you know your life is apples
0: Oh, I cannot. I'll play the tape of my usual presentation. But one of the things that I, I think that uh, cider is is very. It's a unique quality of cider, and I think it's partly the fruit, partly the acidity, is how well it it holds up to spice, uh, and that that's a that's such a, a, a It's unique compared to anything else that you could drink. Uh, in some ways, if you get even close. To uh, a cider that works with food, um, e- e- um, you know, you can find a beer that kind of kind of go with food. You can find a wine that complements food, but you get a good cider will make good food taste better. I think that there's the the, the you know the kind of. A r- a palate-refreshing quality, that that kind of um, intriguing but not horribly competitive fruit flavor. Mm-hmm. It, it just is a huge. Uh, it's a perfect foundation for anything from uh, from kind of uh, uh, crisp vegetables to to light meats to creamy and salty cheeses to, uh, to you know to, to different breads and baked look. stuff. Look,
3: so I just made a cheswan pepper cider marinated root vegetable pickle and I'm gonna pair it with which one of your ciders uh, well
0: this is the one that's right in front of you Jimmy so let's do the Rosen sky I that's think it'll I be saying. beautiful yeah.
3: Yeah. It's, it's dry to me but it's got some nice fruit qualities hmm. and um, I'm really glad you t- I'm really glad we're going to wrap it up on that because spice and different flavors there there's always a talk with wine pairings about it doesn't it pair it with spicy food that's hogwash I mean it's really like you know yeah. g- well-produced orchard-based products, you know, ag-based products really do pair with a lot of things. Give, give us one more one of your favorite pairings besides the the jeepney bone. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so which
2: exciting. I can't make at home, <laughs> so yeah, that's the problem. Um, mustard mustard braised guinea hen, or just chicken thighs if you don't have guinea hen. We use guinea hens in our orchard, so I have with, those, but. With uh, either the Sparkling Dry Brute or the Cinderella Slipper, which is a dry still cider. yeah. And
3: then ice cider, I, I, I love that, I know I've had Eve's before, yeah. my introduction to Eden was ice cider. Yeah, all three of us do Do you guys do any pairings with ice ciders at Eve's? Or do you get to even taste the ice cider there? <laughs> oh, yes, I do. <laughs> what would you pair with ice cider?
1: Um, we love pairing our ice cider with any kind of like spiced dessert. Um, As in
3: spice, what type
1: of spice? Like cinnamon and nutmeg and like warm spices. Um, But the one pairing that we found recently that is just like out of this world is actually our pomo paired with super dark chocolate. Um, There's this one chocolate maker named High Bar in in the Ithaca area who makes this 84% dark chocolate that's like really fruity and like kind of in-your-face tannic, but it just kind of... Makes the pomo explode in your mouth, and it's amazing. Right. So oh. I'm coming up for that. Yeah, no. <laughs> totally. So the
3: challenge of all the words is context, which is probably why I need to go to regionality. <laughs> because for me, when you hear spice, you say yes. cinnamon. I think shaved long black like pepper. right Very,
2: So little, the, I just want to have like the last words we're talking about pairing and if what you, you do it with is. You know, with all of the interest now in like lower ABV and health, I, if you're looking at beer and cider and wine, cider is by it's just this beautiful, happy medium. It's not as alcoholic as wine, and it's not as heavy as beer. And everybody should be embracing it.
0: Great. And Dan? Oh, just one final note. I mean, for time of year, um, cider and Thanksgiving. Oh yeah.
3: yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> right, a Christmas. really large, m- yeah, <laughs> and well, New Year's. a really large meal. Uh, it, it's lighter than wine. It will, it's something you can drink right through the meal. So it, you can, you can uh, have a great time exploring these really wonderful food, food pairings. But it's an easy thing to drink. It's an easy thing to pick up that uh, works really well on that table.
3: That's great. You guys, really have been so great having you all. Thanks, everybody. Um, go around one more time, please, to say your names and, and where you're from, and we'll close out the show.
0: Dan Wilson from Slyborough Cider House in Granville, New York. Catherine Gaylord from Eve's Cidery
2: in Venetton, New York. Eleanor Leger from Eden Specialty Ciders in Newport, Vermont.
3: Well, you guys, thanks so much for joining me on the Heritage Radio Network. If you have questions for us at Beer Sessions Radio, email us at askbeersessionsradio@gmail.com, at gmail.com and we'll answer on the app. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producer, Dylan Hoyer. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. This is our special Saturday Week NYC recording. Cheers. All right. <laughs> Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio is supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization